In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, why container security is important, part one. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I'm your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring why container security is important. Joining me to help answer this is Wes Widener. Wes is a good friend. He is also, as I like to point out in the podcast, not a security person. He's a developer. Uh, He's a developer that's really good at what he does and makes security people's lives a lot easier because those are things that he just considers in his day-to-day role, which is absolutely fantastic. So, um, yeah, be sure to check him out. He's on Twitter at KIA52634. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. I am starting to leave newsletter stuff in the uh, bottom of podcast episodes for the show notes, uh, which are at timothydblock forward slash EIS and then forward slash the episode number. So this one will be 154, but I I am uh, coming up with ideas of of stuff to do. Uh, I have a podcast in the works that um, I think might be perfect for this, where I kind of, you know, release it ahead of time for people or maybe some extra content. I'm always hitting the record button. And then a lot of stuff that doesn't make it into the podcast does get on the floor, but it's, it it can be funny. So I might be doing, I might do like a blooper reel or something. I don't know. I I haven't really thought it through a lot, but um, you know, it just might be something for listeners and maybe even go to those people for feedback ahead of time. Um, but yeah, so check that out again, timothydblock.com forward slash EIS. There's newsletter on the bottom of, uh, the more recent podcast episodes. So, um, with that, we'll go ahead and get right into it and, and talking with Wes about why container security is important. But, to to start it off, I actually asked him, what are containers? So a container is a software deployment mechanism. Think of it as, um, packaging for software. So the very beginning, you would just deploy a binary, just a a fat binary. And even today, a lot of places swear by it. Java's really big on it. But eventually, you're going to have to have some dependencies on the system. And so containers uh, take it beyond like a Debian or a Red Hat package manager, where it doesn't just specify what other packages need to be on the system. Um, A container wraps all of that up into one system image. And think of it as kind of like a VM image, but rather than being as heavy as a VM image, it doesn't instrument all the the hardware. All the it doesn't virtualize all the hardware. A container shares the kernel, and so it ends up being just a process that starts up, and it starts up in milliseconds versus um, seconds or minutes for a VM. So, is that fat binary? Is that with an F or a PH? <laughs> There was actually a PHAT binary or a fat elf. I think that was uh, did they did he name it fat PHAT elf? <laughs> so anyway, Amazing. he he tried to do no, it was fat elf, just F A T. But I went and saw his presentation on that a while back. Iculus. Anyway, he tried to get that added to the Linux kernel core. And there was like this whole saga about trying to do that. But anyway, uh, rabbit hole there. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I sent you down that rabbit hole. So. <laughs> That's right. and you said it, his name was Ickus? 
I C C U L U S. He was the guy that worked on the um, Linux um, game stuff. Okay. So like game ports. What was the the game stuff that used to come out for Linux a long time I, ago? I, I, I didn't know Loki, Linux had games. Loki Games. Really? He was a guy that ported games, and this was like a commercial venture. Mm-hmm. Like they would come to him and they'd say, if you could port like Loki Games, port like um, what was it? Railroad Tycoon and a few other games like that. Like there were some pretty good games. Like nineties games though. It sounds like a nineties yeah. thing. I, yeah, I, 90s I, games. I just feel yeah. like I don't know if if you're gaming, Linux is not the one that you want to. Well, you saw the recent thing on. that came out with uh, Steam. Steam added official wine support. Okay. Like in the last day or two, but all of this is like it's sort of related because the biggest issue in porting games is all the dependencies. Mm-hmm. So none of the game makers want to rewrite all that crap. So they have to figure out a way like compatibility layers with wine or, or something else. So as opposed to all this, it's, um, it's a lot easier just to wrap everything up, freeze dry it and say, here's, here's my Docker image or my container image. So, so Docker's is, just one of them. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, Docker is. I mean, that, that's what people consider containers, right? Is, is when yeah, we talk about Docker, that's a container. That's usually what what comes to mind. There's actually a, a standards. Um, let me see. What is it? The um, Linux container uh, standards. There's a standards committee that's behind it, and so Docker is just one of them, and another one is. Um, Rock was it Rocket, and uh, I think those those are the two that I remember. Oh, Open Container Initiative. It's it's really just a specification for what a container should do when it starts running. Okay, so so Open Container that's like a competitor to Docker or yeah. Okay. So Docker so nobody really wants so Docker just came up and they just um. There, there was all this existing container technology. All they did was make it easy to use. So it's not like okay. original for Docker. Okay. Um, and it was actually Tiny Clouds before it was Docker. Or not, not Tiny Clouds, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on the names of these projects. But yeah, it, it was a the company that was behind Docker didn't even do containers as their primary service. They did um, cloud hosting. And they wanted a way for people to submit apps to them. And then they wanted a way for people to submit apps to them that were completely contained because they didn't want to have to go and download all these dependencies. Mm -hmm. So they made it – Docker became really popular because they made it super easy to create a container. So, so yeah, the – Nobody really want, wanted uh, Docker to be like the one that defined containers, even though that's what comes to most people's minds if they think of containers now. Right. So they got together, and there's like this um, container consortium with like Red Hat and uh, CoreOS and a bunch of other uh, vendors that got together. And they came up with a container standard. And so Docker conforms to it. Um, Rocket conforms to it. Um, CoreOS, a bunch of other um, providers. So Docker is really just one of the standards compliant pieces. Gotcha. So how long has how long have containers been around then? In some form or fashion, containers have been around for like, well, for Linux at least over a decade. But the BSD people will talk about jails, and that's been around for I think about two decades now. Okay. But this has just become more popular then. Is that? 
Yeah. So what happened was the um, the VM revolution. That was what we could probably call um, the web 2.0 or something like where we we started moving everything up to Amazon and we're using the AMI images stuff like that. And then we want to pack those images even more tightly. So we want a VM that has more than one application running on it because we want to get all the the usage out of it. And so that's where um, that's where containers really come in. And the company that really drove that was was Google. The the like old school. So the, the guys who were um, with uh, let's see with the company behind Docker, they they knew to use the containerization because they all I, I believe that most of them worked at, at Google and they worked on this project called Borg. So Borg was their uh, was Google's like of course Gordon. how to ra- do what I said of course Google has is a project <laughs> called the Borg. Right. So they wrapped up. So at Google, it was like part of their onboarding. Mm -hmm. They would say, here's how you write an application for Google and how it fits into our ecosystem. And their Borg process would take a, would take an application, find all the dependencies and like cram it all into what effectively was a container. It just wasn't wrapped up as a Docker container. So really the Docker guys just took that process and uh, generalized it outside of Google's environment. So the interesting thing is a lot of containerization is kind of it's it conforms to a lot of best practices that Google is already doing. Yeah, and so the term I've heard, and maybe this is for something else, but the term other developers told me is is to think about it not as like pets, like system administrator used to have like names for their servers, but now it's more like cattle yeah and that you just yeah. you just have like a you know a bunch of cattle that you're herding around for certain functions yeah and then there's even a newer one that's uh insects so pets cattles and insects what, where what are insects <laughs> so where pets you you're talking about they have names and those are in those generally are like snowflake servers that you've set up mm-hmm. cattle are servers that you can whack at any moment and then you have this process that rebuilds them Insects are even thinner where they have um, – and this is where we've got like uh, lambdas in Amazon mm-hmm. where it's just one Code. function that it runs. Yeah. And it, it it's even more ephemeral than, than cattle. Now, right. take that with a grain of salt. I don't know how – like lambdas themselves – like we've got a lot of people that will interview and they want to do everything in our design question is lambdas. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's – yeah. It's admirable. I think it's kind of like the. Uh, I think it's sort of a fad that's running on the the tails of like functional programming in general. Strong basis, but not applicable to everything. Right. Right. Which in the container world, to kind of back up a little bit, the pets analogy. So even like databases end up looking a lot like pets, and so it's really hard. And this is something that we haven't solved in the Docker world. How do you how do you containerize a database? It turns out to be a really hard problem. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I can see. I, I didn't even think. I didn't even realize that people were trying to move into that space. I felt like you know databases are just their own thing. Yeah, 
Most people avoid that altogether. Uh, some have dared to try it, and then um, Kubernetes, the orchestration framework that we might talk about a little bit, they um, recently announced or recently came out with a pet set feature that allows you to have pets in a Kubernetes or in a Docker environment. Now, the debate on whether or not you should actually do that is is pretty fierce. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so so Lambda functions are, um, would you consider that a container, though, if it's just essentially like code running? Yeah, I mean, it could be. It, the, real, the real difference between cattle and Lambdas is that um, cattle are running their daemons. They run all the time, and they could have like a bunch of different, I mean, it's just an API server, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, a Lambda would be a lot thinner, and yeah, those, those work well as containers. Okay. I, I was just trying to kind of set, I guess, the scope here of, of what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, these containers are just, like you said, it's, it's not, it's, it's just, it, run, it like shares a kernel. So it's a bunch of them, which is why you have something like Kubernetes for orchestration to kind of tell them where to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the orchestration is, so when you first play with containers, it's great to get it all wrapped up and running on your local system. Right. And I had a team at the office the other day, um, came and asked me about how they could, how they can start using containers. And so I, I kind of made a mistake and started telling them about the entire rabbit trail. When the first thing is take your application, whatever it is, and wrap it into a container. And that's just – it makes it deployable. It makes it easily restartable. I mean the whole point of a container – and um, the so the, the word or the phrase container really comes from a shipping analogy. Uh-huh. So thinking of like freighter or – yeah, freighting uh, – freight containers, um, as far as the guys at the dock know, they're just boxes that have stuff in them. And they have um, – they have a standardized way that you can grapple or hook onto them and move them around and you can place them onto a truck bed. And because everybody knows the dimensions and the hooking points and everything else, like these containers are effectively black boxes as far as the shipping um, industry is concerned. And for us, for deployment, for DevOps, that's what we want. We don't really care what runs in it. Now, as a developer, I care, and we'll get into more of the security of that later. But from a DevOps perspective, just want it to run, mm-hmm. and I want it to restart itself if it stops running. So the the first round of containerization, most people just wrap their application up, and then they have it running on some server somewhere. But eventually, you're going to want that one server to have – like you want it to be load balanced, and you want to move things around. That's where orchestration comes in. Right. So um, what's your experience been with containers? Well, initially, I worked at a company where we were at Internet of Things, and the data science guys had this application they were really proud of, and it was written in PHP. And so one day I took a break from writing Scala to go over there and look at it, and it was this PHP that took a um, – you'll like this – it took a freeform uh, post request, and it just exceed it out, like executed it directly on the command line. And of course, I freaked out about that. The first thing that I wanted to do was just wall it off from everything that was valuable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the best thing I could do, because I kept trying to ask them if they could just like rewrite that or do something else with it, they weren't going to do that, and we didn't have the development time to to do anything else. So 
the best I could do is take that application, and that was my first like production Docker container, is wrapping that thing up into a container, getting rid of anything else, because I knew one day somebody's going to come along and just send exploits to it. So I was, I was thinking that you know the most they could do is they would break out into this container, and it wouldn't like they wouldn't be able to go any any further than that. Right. So wait. So why? So so kind of backing up a little bit. Why was that a big issue? Why was the application a big issue? Yeah. Well, the the like you said, it was um, executing post requests on a command line. Like, so it was taking those post requests. It wasn't escaping them or anything else. wasn't doing any security oh, checks. Okay. Okay. You said on a right. form. That's right. Okay. Right. So it was just straight. I mean, it was an exploit waiting to happen. Right. And they, they, okay. <laughs> Right. It was as bad as it sounds. (laughs) Now, I did try to add in like stripping quotes and some stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it was still executing some user input. Mm, Yeah. 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 So that was the the first application of containers, uh, I guess, was um, a security application. Beyond that, um, being on that, that team, we had... We had services that that you know everybody shared a pager duty rotation, and it got around to my turn to do pager duty, and I just kept getting woken up by these pages. The services was down, and mostly it was just it ran out of heap. It was a Scala program, and I just needed to go and kick it, restart it. Well, that was the next thing to be Dockerized. I wrapped all of that into a Docker container, and I set it running, and had a flag on there. Even way back then, they they supported. If it fails, go ahead and automatically restart it. And then, you know, that worked fine. That was like after I dockerized it on a Friday, I came back on Monday and looked at the restart count, and it was like 40-something times that weekend. Now, that was a lot of dev work to get that fixed, I mean, to make it not restart that much. But that also saved me from having to be paged all weekend. Yeah, that's that's a lot of pages for the weekend. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um yeah, the second thing was just uptime and making sure that it stayed where it was. And then from there, um, just wrapping applications that surpass that, um, orchestrating applications together, and then that kind of goes into um, Kubernetes and then orchestration from that. Uh, sort of a side detour on the Docker Swarm. So Docker had this um, system that kind of competed with Kubernetes up until the beginning of this year when Docker finally in, threw in the towel, mm-hmm. where they would handle orchestration using something called Docker Swarm. And that um, that worked okay, but it didn't work across like it, it was okay for like tens of systems, but not hundreds of systems. Now I know that they worked on it, it probably got it scaled past that, but my experience wasn't that great. Right. And apparently it was similar across the board. So the next application would be taking a bunch of those microservices, like the um Scala microservices I was talking about, and then meshing those together. They were all they're all their individual containers but then wiring those together. So another curious fact about containers is that they they try to look like a VM image as much as possible. And so each container gets its own IP address and it's its own like internal IP address in the, the host that it's running in. So another uh, another natural thing is to say, well, I've got a bunch of hosts, a bunch of uh, VMs, they're all running a Docker daemon. And I want to create this overlay network 
that goes across all of those machines so that all of these VMs or all of these containers look like they're in the same network space. Um, an initial um, project that tried to make that work was called Weave. And so this is where we get into the, the whole realm of software-defined networks. Have you played with those a lot? No. So think of it as everything is virtualized. Routers are virtualized. Um, okay. The, the, so the application itself defines what it wants as a network. And then you only have the things in that network that the application really needs to talk to. It's sort of like, um, I would say it's like firewalls on steroids. No, <laughs> you know, like, so every, every network gets to be shrink wrapped. Um, I went and did a class at, um, at Cisco for this a while, a while back. And they were really excited about this notion because now they can take their, their phone network and have it shrink wrapped just with the, the phone devices, you know, the handsets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that ends up being a whole nother fun realm to look at. And of course, telcos are really big into that too. Okay. So like that, that, that's interesting because you, you had, you had some actual security use cases for, you know, containers, um, mm-hmm. isolation from, from other parts, uh, of the, of the application. But then also, it seems like you, you, you're you able to automate a lot of stuff for, you know, just kind of basic uh, day-to-day jobs so you don't get, you don't get paged 42 times all weekend. Yeah. What, I'm just wondering, you know, where, what are the biggest security concerns then with containers? Because to me, it sounds great and there can't <laughs> be anything wrong with them, right? <laughs> so uh, one of the biggest things, and Docker was very upfront about this, Containers are not for security isolation. And that's one of the things, there's a a really great Red Hat presentation called Containers Don't Contain. And they don't. They they were never really designed to in the beginning. And this is one of the things that the BSD guys really beat the drum on. Jails were designed to contain applications. They They had security first. Containers don't. It's just a happy byproduct that containers do end up walling, have some sort of walling off from other applications. But when you initially run an application in a container on a host, default settings allow that container to consume as many resources as it can. So you've got a um, noisy neighbor problem. You also have the default networking for containers is to allow or is to bridge it with all other containers on the host. Mm. So all of the ports and other containers are wide open. Now, Docker does do what's called capability dropping, and these are kernel capabilities, um, system calls, where like there's a certain subset that are dropped by default, and you can drop even more. But but it does try to drop like some of the more obvious ones, like you can't you can't normally do a ping command in a container because that requires lower privileges or certain capabilities that aren't available. Um, there was this really fun post a while back, though, that, that – so there was this uh, debate whether or not containers should be able to build other containers. So there's this real fun uh, – um, what is it? The Yo Dog. I <laughs> you like containers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So you can actually run a container with full privileges as the host, and all you get there is um, – like they're called C groups wrapping or lashing all of the processes that are started in a container together in a logical set. And that lets you just track those as a logical set. 
But um, so anyway, going back to the the container, the biggest um, risk for containers security is that the default settings don't really isolate the con- the container away from the host, and it doesn't isolate it from other containers either. Okay. So I, I guess so. So is this just then a configuration thing, or? Yeah. So it's um it's two parts. One is you have to know what your container does, and there's there's this really great paradigm that I recently ran into, which is um there's the principle of least privilege as far as a security concept. You can also apply that to containers as you're building an application. So if this container needs, or if this functionality of the system needs to read from a file, then kind of isolate that process off and let it read the file and then have it squirt that data off over a network socket to some other process. That allows you to take the containers and drop the capabilities that they don't need. So there's like, um, what is it, 24 or so capabilities that you can drop in a container. And the more you can drop, the more surface area of a container, the attack surface, that you reduce. So, yeah, there's there's security mechanisms that you can apply at the Docker daemon level, the thing that actually runs the containers. You can tell it to um, that that you don't want this container to be able to use like all of these capabilities. You can also tell the you can also apply um, setconf or app app armor profiles which is really just another way of like dropping kernel capabilities and all of this is really just to shrink the attack surface Mm -hmm.